Praise be to God this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, upon this morning, greetings to Forest Baptist Church. It is so fantastic to be back with you. It's, it's such a privilege and honor uh, to serve here. And it is a privilege and honor to serve alongside so many faithful brothers in the Word. Um, we, we really don't understand just how blessed we are to have four men who can exposit the Word, who love Jesus, and are readily, readily available to teach in a moment's notice. Because God is not something that they study for. God is someone that they study from. So they're able to teach because God has been teaching them. So I'm grateful to have these men to serve alongside with. For all of our guests and visitors, welcome to Forest Baptist Church. It is great to be with you in worship this morning. Well, I tell you what, I'm excited. And I'm excited because this morning we begin a new study. Uh, through the book of Galatians, entitled Forever Free. And in this study, what, what we'll see is just how easy it is for Christians to believe that, that God's acceptance is, is based upon their ability, their performance, their works, where how you, you feel about your relationship with God depends on what we do for him, rather than what he has already done and accomplished in Christ. So in this study, we will also see just how dangerous it is to live with a performance-based Christianity and how it actually takes individuals back to bondage, but not only back to bondage, but actually away from the presence of God where once we begin to believe that we can do something in and of our own strength, that is such a false gospel, it's not just partly wrong, it's completely wrong. And when we get the gospel wrong, we get God wrong. We get his heart wrong, we get our our worship of him wrong, we get our praise wrong, everything is wrong when we don't have a, a complete understanding of the gospel and the grace that freely flows from it. Praise be to God. So I'm excited, because in this study, we we will see how glorious, how spectacular, how magnificent God's grace is when it is fully settled on Jesus and the forever freedom that follows. Amen? So for the purposes of this morning, we'll be doing a a, a overview of the book of Galatians, but also taking a look at, at Paul's uh, salutation in verses 1 through 5 and digging into that quickly. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, the first chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 this morning. Galatians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the very authoritative word of God. When we read scripture, we hear Jesus speak. 
This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Paul, an apostle, not from man, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and, the, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God for his word. I'd like to place a tag upon this text, free to believe. Free to believe. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Kind Father, we come this morning and we just say thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your constant provision. Thank you so much for what you have done for us just this past week, Lord. We have seen your faithfulness at work in so many different ways. So we just say thank you, dear God. We thank you for the grace that we have in and through Christ Jesus himself and the power that you uh, give us through your Holy Spirit to live and to love you. So, Father, as we come this morning, we come as people knowing that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that we need you to come to open up our eyes and to open up our ears and to prepare our hearts for your word. Father, whatever issues of life may be going on right now, Father, meet that need. Whatever situation or circumstance may have someone be bewildered, Lord, meet that need, dear God. Father, we pray that your spirit will do such a work in this place that we will leave this place amazed and in awe of you and that we will make the name of Christ known to all we come in contact with, Lord. Help us today. Help us to run from religion and to run towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Father, hide me behind thy cross. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Where does freedom come from? Is it just found laying around? Is it sitting on your dresser as you wake up in the morning, where does freedom come from? Is freedom something that has always been? We know that is not the case, but no, freedom is fought for. Freedom is fought for. Freedom is secured by blood and sacrifice. See, but no matter the cost, freedom is only as good as the authority of the one who has won it. This is the heartbeat of the book of Galatians. For freedom cannot be received apart from authority. The authority of the gospel is the very thing that actually sets us free. You can experience freedom found in the gospel by believing in the authoritative word of God. 
this word that we have before us this morning. And the question that rings throughout this book is, upon whose authority do you base your freedom? Is this a a man-made, self-made, world-made authority, or is this the authority that comes alone from Christ? This is the question that is being posed by the author of this book, Paul. See, Paul, the apostle, has come to a point in his life where he recognizes and understands that apart from the gospel of Christ, he would have no hope. Because of his past, because of where he has been, because of his former pursuits, that if it had not been for the gospel, God himself pursuing him relentlessly, he would not know Christ. Paul, the author of many of the New Testament epistles, pens this letter to the churches in Galatia. Southern Asia Minor. These are the churches that Paul found on his first missionary trip recorded in Acts 13 and 14. And Paul has gone out from the Jews to the Gentiles, and he is proclaiming a gospel that is free from the law, free from works, that God accepts anyone who repents and trusts in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. This is a gospel for everybody. So as he is writing to this group of professing Christians, these Gentiles, he is assuring them that what they have in Christ is not based upon who they are, where they're from, their ability, but is solely based upon Jesus, his work. The occasion here for this writing is the fact that their salvation is at stake. The message of the gospel was being perverted by those who wanted to come in and to place upon these Gentiles the Jewish uh, customs and laws saying that not only did you have to believe in Jesus, but you had to adhere to the Jewish law through circumcision. It was a a gospel of Jesus plus. They, They needed to add to what they were doing. And in adding to this gospel message, in order to make themselves look good, they needed to discredit Paul's apostleship. They needed to make it look like Paul really wasn't who he said he was. That he really didn't have the authority because, of course, Moses had given them the law and Moses said to keep the law and Paul was obviously wrong. This is the challenge. This is the occasion. The theme running throughout this entire book is that freedom is forever found in Jesus. And Paul's tone throughout this book is different than any other uh, epistle that he's written. Even when he is, he, he is on the heads of those in Corinth, he, it, it's more about you know better, you should be living this way. This is not representative of who Christ is. But in this letter, his tone is so serious, it's, it's so dramatic because their salvation is at stake and a gospel that has been blemished, that has been changed, does not have the power to save. And if they trusted in that gospel, they would be damned to hell and existence apart from God. 
This is serious business. And even as we are walking and, and trying to, to be obedient to God, if we have a gospel that is anything other than what God has given us in this word, then we are in danger of being damned to hell and separated from this good and great and glorious God. So when we come to scripture, we, we can't come like, ah, oh, this is kind of like what they were going through back then. This is what we're going through right now. The temptation of Jesus plus. The temptation of wanting to lay hold of your own salvation and control it. The temptation to, to puff out your chest and say, look at me. I am such a great Christian. Look at the works I'm able to do. The temptation to be depressed and discouraged because you're not the one up there preaching or you're not the one with all these special gifts. There's the temptation of wanting to do something to say, God, look at me. And, 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 and the crazy thing, he has already said, I've looked at you on Calvary's cross. I have provided for you already. It is done. It is finished. Have your rest in my grace. This is what he wants us to have. This is why the tone is so serious. And Paul, he methodically works his way through this understanding of grace in the gospel in three sections, in, in chapters one and two. He looks at grace from a historical perspective. And he talks about his life and where he's from and what God did with him. Then he looks at grace from a, a doctrinal perspective. This justification by faith through Christ alone. And he talks about the substitutionary atonement in Christ Jesus that you cannot die for yourself, but you need one to die on your behalf in order to be saved. You need a replacement. We are desperately in need of this word today. But then lastly, he looks at it from a practical perspective. And he says, because the Spirit works in you, this is now how you should live. Because grace is working its way out through you, this is how you should live. And he brings and weaves this beautiful contrast. We see the contrast between law and grace. We'll see a contrast between works and faith. We'll see the contrast between this false gospel and the true gospel. We'll see the contrast between bondage and freedom. And we'll see the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. What this book of Galatians comes down to is whom will the Galatians believe? Whose authority will they trust? Whose gospel will they believe? And this morning, I would like for us to consider two reasons, just two reasons Paul gives for why the Galatians should trust him and why we should too. Two reasons. We believe Paul because of the authority of the messenger and the authority of the message. First, 
the authority of the messenger. See, because God used men whose calling was completely divine in origin, Christians believe that the scriptures have the authority to set us free. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Paul begins this letter and he pens it in such a specific way to underscore his tone. And he starts off, off rip, he says, Paul the apostle, not from men, not through men. In all of his salutations, this is the only time that he's really laying out his authority. He's not, he's not, he's not trying to boast of himself, but he's trying to remind them that God gave me something very specific to give to you, and I gave it. Paul is refuting those who will be called Judaizers. And the Judaizers would come in to a Gentile congregation and began to say, yes, you, you, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised too. If you're going to be pleasing to God, then you need to conform to our way of worship. See, this is not just an issue of the gospel. This is a, an issue of how God meets people where they are in their very own context. Because because what he was saying, in other words, in order for you to be accepted by God, you needed to be a Jew and not a Gentile. See, that's a message that can ring true with us today. As, as, as we are moving in, in this evangelical society, there are some who may say, you need to be worshiping like this in order to be accepted by God. You worship like this and not like this. You need to say this and not like this. Your church should look like this and not like this. But God says, I created you for who you are, and my glory is demonstrated by the fact that people of all tribes, nations, and tongues are glorifying the same Jesus. You don't have to assimilate to a certain culture. You don't have to assimilate to a certain context to be accepted by God. God knew, he knew what he was doing when he created you. He knew you was going to be born in the hood. He knew what street you was going to be on. He knew what hospital you was going to be born in. He knew you wasn't going to go to the, the, the high schools. You was going to go to the low schools. He knew everything, and he uses that for his glory. God is great. And what he wants to do is have this symphony orchestra that's playing one tune to God be the glory. This is what he wants to do. So as Paul begins to testify, he, is, his, his stra he, he wants to come straight against the Judaizers because their strategy was to discredit Paul, to say he really, he really wasn't an apostle. He really wasn't given the authority he says that he has. This is a common strategy that we even see now in, in the court of law. In order to get the jury to not believe one story, they attempt to discredit the witness. 
they began to bring up all kind of baggage. Uh, you sitting there and you saw what happened, and, you, and, and they, they asked you to say what happened, and you, and you simply tell the story. Uh, you tell the truth, nothing but the truth, uh, so help you God. And as you have sat there and told the truth, then the other attorney comes up. And the other attorney doesn't ask you about the truth. The other attorney wants to ask you about your past. He wants to bring up all kind of dirt trying to discredit you. They're trying to bring up uh, those old parking tickets that you still ain't paid. Just trying to bring up the fact that you have these type of subscriptions or this is where you used to go or how you used to spend your money. And they try to bring up this air of, of, of a lack of integrity, a lack of character to discredit your testimony. And that is what happens commonly in the court of law. Beloved, the Judaizers were trying to bring up things from Paul's past and try to say he wasn't who he really said he was all in order to discredit him that the people would believe them instead of him. And all of this was done. They had not at one time do they talk to Paul's truth. They tried to talk about his character. When someone begins to talk about your character over the truth, you know something's up. When people try to attack who you used to be, rather than the truth you proclaim now, then they missing the whole point. They worried about where you used to go, how y'all used to hang, and you trying to tell them uh, that's how I used to be, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Because what he did for me, he can do the same for you. He can rescue you out of that pit of hell and deliver you and cleanse you. So we just trust the testimony given by God, because this is what Paul does. Because what he does, he points to his apostolic authority. Paul, an apostle. Uh, apostle, uh, the word it simply means a, a sent one. One who is sent. But in terms of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, and Paul, it's a, it's a different meaning, because this meaning has a man who has been sent with immediate divine authority. An apostle is one who would have walked with Jesus during his ministry. They would have witnessed the miracles. They would have been witnesses to the resurrection, and they would have been commissioned specifically by Jesus. So that, that term that, that little word right there is so pregnant and packed with authority because what he's saying is, I'm showing up not because I want to or think I should be here. I'm here because Jesus sent me. An apostle. So he looks to his apostolic authority to say that I am a messenger sent from God himself to proclaim this gospel to you. But then Paul, he, he also points to his delegated authority. This is a greater authority because he says this authority is not from men and not through men. So what he's saying, in other words, is that the authority that I have, it wasn't given to me by a council. The, the authority that I have it wasn't given to me by a church. 
It wasn't given to me by, by people who, who came, up, came together and said, yeah, I think Paul should do this. No, but his authority is from God himself. This is a divine authority. So, so for instance, I know that the Lord has a calling upon my life to preach the gospel. This calling is not from man. I didn't, I didn't start preaching because my daddy was a preacher. I, I didn't start preaching because I thought it would get me rich quick. I, I, I didn't start preaching because I thought everybody would accept me because I preached Jesus. It's, if, if anything, if there was anything else that I could have done, I would have done. But when God calls you to what he wants you to do, you do it. So there's this divine calling upon each of our lives that God wants you and he wants to use you for a specific purpose. So that's divine. But yet, but yet, on, on the other half of this, I did sit through an ordination. And I did send through an installation, which is the people of God affirming and confirming this call that I believe I had. So that part of my call is from man. That part of my call is validated by the body of Christ. So what Paul is saying is I don't need y'all. I don't need y'all to corroborate I, I don't need y'all to give me a shout out. I, I, like, I, I don't need anybody at my side to say, I, yes, Paul is who he says he is, because I have the one who is the one that decided on my side. This is authority, unlike any other. And he presses in. He says, okay, I gave you my Apostolic authority, I gave you my delegated authority. I'm just, let me just give a shout out to my boys because they know what we've been going through. And he says, and all the brothers who are with me. He says, my crew rolled deep. And they got some people who know what the gospel been doing in these Gentile churches and how the spirit is here just as the spirit is there. And how God is not calling these people to circumcision, but he's calling them to freedom. So they are able to agree as if he needed it. In other words, Paul begins by just saying, I am an ambassador of Christ. I am an ambassador. What is the purpose of an ambassador? If I am the U.S. ambassador, my job is to go into foreign nations to be a representative of my entire country. And as I go into this country, I have full privileges and full power and the full backing of my government. So what Paul is saying, I am an ambassador to the Gentiles. I am an ambassador on earth, and I come with the full power and the full backing of heaven himself. I'm not here to fool you. I'm here to preach the gospel that will free you. Freedom cannot be received without the proper backing. And though there are no living apostles today, the authority for the church 
is backed by the apostolic writings. In other words, the church, we're not backed by apostles, but we're backed by scripture. The authority that the church has is because of what Paul and and Peter and, and, and John and James have written. That is the authority we stand upon. Turn with me right quick to 2 Peter. Second Peter, the first chapter. Peter, Jesus' ace, his man, he, he, he lays out, okay, just if you think that we've been coming up with this stuff on our own. Let me explain something to you right quick. So in 2 Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 16, Peter reports that, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, watch this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. You hear that? No prophecy, no no portion of scripture was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is confirming what what Paul is stating, that the reason that the scriptures are are valuable and, and profitable for life is because they are the very words of God. That is which we stand upon as the church. We don't stand upon tradition. We don't stand upon popes. We don't stand upon bishops. We don't stand upon what the culture says. We don't stand on what the people say. We don't stand on what the trustees say. We don't stand on what the deacons say. We don't stand on what the preacher says. We stand upon what the word of God says. That is our only authority. So when we think about this authority, though, that authority actually is what frees us. Just as if my children were playing in the backyard. And I said, don't leave the backyard. Don't leave outside these gates. I'm not restricting them. I'm not restricting their freedom. I'm giving them full space to enjoy it. Because as soon as they open the gate and head out into traffic, now their lives are at stake. And some of us, some of us, when we look at the authority of Scripture, we see a a book of rules, a list of what we can and can't do. But God is saying, I'm not giving you rules. I'm giving you freedom. 
I'm giving you life. I'm giving you hope. I, I, I love you and I care about you. So the reason that I'm even engaged in your life is because I love you and I want to save you from yourself. Oh, we hate authority. Don't you tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. As soon as our boss leaves, I wish they would tell me what to do. Yes. But tell me today, if you profess to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are you your own boss? Do you decide which scriptures you listen to and which scriptures you don't? Do you get angry when the word of God confronts your current and present behavior? Do you get fed up with your brothers and sisters in Christ trying to lovingly lead you, and, and, but you don't want to hear it, so you just stop talking to them? Don't text me. Don't, sit, don't put no posts on my page. I ain't got time for you. Then you are not living on the authority of Scripture. Scripture was given for freedom's sake. God wants you to enjoy his creation he wants you to enjoy this life, so he gives you a whole backyard to play in and says, go. Have fun. Swing on the monkey bars. Do backflips, hula hoop. Enjoy yourself. Just roll around in the grass. And what we say, no. I want to go on the street where the cars are. We are constantly rebelling against the precious, beautiful, loving word of God. We're constantly doing that. Turn with me. Turn with me to Psalm 19 quickly. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. In this text, the author uses various words simply as scripture. So he says law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, rules, all of that, they're synonyms for scripture, for the word of God. Listen to this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired. Are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb? Moreover, by them your servant, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Does that sound like a rule book to you? 
It sounds like a love note to me. God wants the best, the very best for you. But until we surrender to the authority of Scripture in our lives, we will continue to have hell and drama and chaos because we're trying to do life our own way. It's not complicated. God is not trying to trick us. He's saying, obey me. Just follow me. And I will lavish my love upon you and the grace that I give you will set you free. Why are we so downtrodden as Christians? Why are we so afraid? Don't we have the truth? Haven't we read the end of the book? But the reason why we're so dysfunctional and, and so tense and so stressed is because we're trying to go at life in our own strength. And God says, give it to me. Just give it to me. I want to set you free. Paul wants the Galatians to say, I will sit under the authority of Scripture. I will go where Scripture says go. I will say what the Scriptures tell me to say. I will do what the Scriptures tell me to do. Surrender to the authority of Scripture and be free this morning. On whose authority do you base your freedom? Secondly, the authority of the messenger, but now the authority of the message. Because the gospel is the power of salvation. Christians believe that we have been wholly set free to experience God's infinite grace. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. As Paul is writing, the, the message of the messenger is what's most important. And Paul says, I am a messenger, but I carry with me a message. And the message is the gospel. And he says, in this gospel, grace and peace is yours. It's yours. He said, grace to you and peace from God. Grace and peace. This is a succinct summary of the entire Christian message. God wants to give you grace and bring peace between you and the Father through his blood. Grace is that unmerited favor, that free mercy, not based upon your works, your ability, your performance, your IQ. Grace is freely given by God to those he has set his affection upon. It's, he didn't look down the corridors of time to see who would believe. He said he set the corridors of time and determined who would believe. And when he calls you, he is saying, I just want to lavish my love upon you. That's grace. Grace. Grace is when I show up at home with four Slurpees just because. Just because my children was on my mind that day. I stopped at the dollar store to get a bag of candy just because. I didn't call home to find out if they cleaned their room up first. I didn't call home to see if they did their homework. I didn't find out how was they behaving. I just wanted to bless them. That's grace. God is not trying to figure out if you did your homework. He just blesses you. Here it is. I love you. 
I just love you, and I care about you. You're on my mind. You're in my heart. I just want to touch you with my hands. Come here, let me hold on to you. Let me love you. Let me strike the back of your head. Are you stressed out? Let me take care of you. That's grace. That's grace. He just loves us. And what's so incredible about grace is not just God's unmerited favor, but on the flip side of grace is God's unlimited power. His power. Titus 2 tells us, beginning with verse 11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What does this grace do? It has power, unction. It accomplishes something. And he says, this grace training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The present age. Did Paul just talk about this present evil age? God says, I will give you the power through my grace to live in this crazy day. I will give you all the grace that you need to obey me. I will give you every single aspect of strength so you can follow me. He is telling us that grace is about unmerited favor, but grace is also about unlimited power. And peace, the shalom of God. Here he's simply pointing back to the fulfillment of his covenant promise to bring his people peace on every side. He will give them rest from war. How many, how many of us need peace today? How much drama are you dealing with right now? That situation that's on your mind when you walked in the door. We need some of that peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace that only comes from the Holy Spirit. That, that supernatural, not the peace that you got paid and you're able to pay your bills on time. This is peace that I haven't got paid, but I'm still going to worship. I may be in the hurricane, but I sit in the aisle where it's peaceful. The waves may be raging and warring, but I'm going to rest and sleep like Jesus. He is constantly showing us that he wants to give us something better, but we constantly want to run back to something that is not. He gives us this grace and peace through this unblemished gospel. That's what he's, he said. This is the gospel. He says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel right here. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. How is that the gospel? Because he, he states he gave himself for our sins. This is who you were before Christ. Sinners in need of a Savior. You were separated from the goodness of God, your unrighteousness, cannot be with this righteousness because God is light and in him there is no darkness. 
He talks about who we were. Then he goes on to talk about what Jesus did to fix that. Who gave himself for our sins. This atonement. Jesus living the life that we could not deliver and dying the death that we deserve. He is standing in our place. And he's saying in this present age, understanding that there are two ages, there is this present age and this age uh, 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 that has yet to come, that where the new creation, the new heavens and earth will appear, and there will be the land of no more, no more sin and no more issues and no more drama. That, that's that next age. But what he's saying is that for Christians, we live in a, 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 a middle ground that is, we're not there, but we're not here. And he is perfectly preserving us by his grace and his mercy to live in this present age. To be, you know what he's saying? I'm giving you what you need to be victorious now. We don't have to wait to the end of the book. You can be victorious right now in my strength by my grace. That's why he says we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He didn't say at the end of the story, he didn't say dot, 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 BTW, that's at the end of the book. No, he says right now. Victorious in Christ. In Christ. And then the gospel, it, 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 it folds itself on what the Father did according to the will of our God and Father. His will. His determination, his plan, his purpose, his work, knowing that God is doing something in us. It started before the foundation of the world. God didn't start working on you the day you was born. God has already been working on you since the foundation of the world. God was thinking about you before you thought about yourself today. God has given us a gospel but yet we want to dilute it. I often use the illustration, if, if I had a bottle of water, Jay, let me see that bottle of water. If I had a bottle of water and it was a smoldering hot day and I was like, man, I need some water and someone gives me this bottle of water and they say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 though. But before you drink that, I actually opened it and I took like a drop of sewage and put it in there. Just a drop. Like, like a, just a little bitty drop. So you should be good. Would you drink that? Would you drink that water? See, but it's just a drop. It's not a whole lot. It's just a drop, right? That drop is enough to destroy the refreshing satisfaction that this entire beverage brings. And when we walk the Christian life thinking that you can do something to make yourself pleasing before God, that drop is just enough to take the refreshing work of the gospel from your lips 
and make it a burden work. Where now, when you come into church, you don't come free, lifting up holy hands. You come bound up, discouraged, because you messed up last night. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Set us free, dear God. Not just one drop. I don't want it. Give us a pure gospel. An undiluted gospel. That has the power to refresh Christians. To enjoy this life. See, freedom, it cannot be received without belief. See, We've been holding onto an impure gospel. It, it doesn't refresh. It restricts. Be refreshed by letting go of religion and receive the gospel today. See, the gospel provides freedom. It's all this talk about religious freedom this, these days, about preserving our religious freedom. That we need to do, we need to elect whoever and do whatever, but, but we need to keep our religious freedom. You know what? We need freedom from religion sometimes. See, because religion is powerless where the gospel is powerful. See, the religion doesn't have any power to, to actually do anything in your life. The religion is, is only for the outside world to see to make them think you actually something you ain't. See, religion works on the outside where the gospel works from the inside. You worried about putting your makeup on, but your heart is dirty. You worried about dressing up the body, but you got cancer in your belly. You talking about putting new shoes on your feet, but you got broke toes. God wants to do something from the inside out. He wants to change your heart first. He don't care what you look on the outside, if you got it all together, if they, if they think you're a good Christian. He says, no, I'm going to work on your spirit. I'm going to work on your heart. I'm going to make you love me in such a way that the outside just starts reflecting the inside. You become what I've already declared you to be because I'm working in you by my grace. By my grace. Religion makes you helpless. The gospel makes you hope-filled. The gospel secures our freedom. That's it. Spiritually, we're saved from the, the penalty, the, the power, and eventually the presence of sin. So spiritually, we're free. But did you know that the gospel secures you uh, your freedom emotionally? If you ever felt depressed, the gospel's for you. If you ever felt down, downtrodden, the gospel's for you. If you ever felt unappreciated, the gospel's for you. If you ever felt frustrated, the gospel is for you. If you ever felt alone, the gospel is for you. If you, if you ever felt abandoned, the gospel is for you. See, all these areas that the gospel impacts because Christ is our all in all and he has satisfied these yearnings and desires. So practically... I have freedom from performance anxiety because the Lord has already 
declare my work to be good, good and well done. I have freedom from false expectations because Jesus has already secured my work already. I have freedom from insecurity because Jesus said, all who the Father has given me, I will not let one go. The gospel gives me freedom from abandonment issues because he said, I will not leave you nor forsake you, and I am with you. See, the gospel gives me freedom, watch this, from independence. I don't have to be a lone wolf. I don't have to be a lone ranger. But God comes alongside of me, and he puts people in my life, and now I can do this life how he wants me to do. That the gospel frees me from being defensive because the worst thing that was said about me was already placed on Calvary's cross. Can't nobody talk about me no more because I'm already dead to them. The gospel gives me freedom from narcissism. Why? Why? Because it's not about me. It's all about him and the glory of Christ Jesus. Surrender to the gospel of grace and be refreshed. Be refreshed. Lastly, verse 5. He simply says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul just got started. And he already has a doxology. Paul, Paul he, even, he even passed verse 5, and he already shouting hallelujah. He hasn't got deep into the text, and he's already praising Jesus because he knows who he was. He knows who he used to be. He knows that God has a plan for him. He knows that God has a purpose, and he knows that his freedom has already been secured. He doesn't have to work. It's already been secured because of Jesus. Already. Ha. When you know you've delivered. See, it's like going to school and, and you got that pop quiz. But for whatever reason, you studied last night anyway. Oh, it's like, I'm not burdened by the test. I'll take the test. Yeah, it's a surprise, but I'm ready. And, and that's how grace works in the Christian life. Uh, it's, like, it's like going to take that drug test, but you know you ain't been smoking nothing at least for two years. I'm going to take it. I ain't got to worry about the, uh, the contents coming back because God has, has given me grace. See, when you have that freedom, when God, when you're able to walk in that freedom, then guess what you want to do? You have a doxology of your own. You say, to God be the glory for the great and mighty and wonderful things that he has done forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 better stop walking around here acting like our amens don't mean something. When you, you, you stop saying amen because you think it's a filler word. You say amen when you say, let it be so forever and ever and ever to his glory. Let it be. Amen. Amen. Amen.
we started, we started understanding where freedom comes from. Freedom is fought for. And freedom is secured by blood and sacrifice. But the only thing we need to know is that it ain't our blood and it ain't our sacrifice. It's the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone we hope. If you are here today and you're trying to impress God because you showed up, you're trying to impress God because you read your Bible, you're trying to impress God because you're praying like you should. I say stop trying to be impressed and let God give you rest. He wants to show you through his grace that he wants to lift you up, take off the burden, take off the baggage, and he wants to set you free. In Christ Jesus alone. Because, because of the authority of the messenger and the authority of the message, we are free to believe. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for what you have done with wretches like ourselves. Father, we ain't got a front. We ain't got a faith. We just need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Father, help us rest today. Father, help us leave here unbound, unleashed, and unchained. Father, help us to realize the great and faithful work you have already accomplished in Christ. And Father, help us to leave this place free and victorious. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the abundance we have in Christ. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for repentance. We thank you for this hour. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen.